Hi, I'm Kristen Carpenter, the founder and CEO of Verity Brand Communications and the host of the Channel Mastery Podcast. Over the past two decades, Verde served hundreds of amazing brands across the active lifestyle markets. We know how to build and activate communities of rapidly loyal brand fans for our clients because we work every day to help them connect with, serve, and sell to their consumers. And that's what you'll get a master class in every week here on the Channel Mastery Podcast. To reach Jedi status as a channel master, you have to commit to knowing your consumer inside and out. Because today, the consumer is the channel. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I have a very special guest today, and we are going to go into some great storytelling, great audience building and community generating content ideas for you. I'd love for you to meet Russ Roca, who is the content creator and sticker salesman <laughs> of Pathless Pedaled. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, th thanks for having me. I might be the first sticker salesman you've had on. <laughs> yes, you definitely have. Um, so I'd love to start by just having you give our amazing audience here at Channel Mastery your background and how you founded this awesome community that I truly love, Pathless Pedaled. Yeah, I'll go way back really quickly and then just kind of steam through. But uh, back in about 2000, discovered bikes uh, primarily as a commuter and actually started a bike-based business as a photographer, freelancing for OC Weekly, LA Weekly, a couple of local magazines. And I did everything by bike. So that's where I got my first kind of grounding in bikes and use it using it as a storytelling tool. And in about 2009, uh, my girlfriend and I sold everything it was a big, great recession. You know, we weren't missing out on much. So we figured we'd travel by bike. And that's what we did for three years. A uh, big loop around the United States and then uh, several months in New Zealand. And after three years of, of not having uh, keys <laughs> to a, a place, as we called it, we wanted to settle down. So we found ourselves in Portland. And this is when our story, our story shifts again. Uh, because we... We were in Portland. We knew we still wanted to do something with bikes and media, but needed something that paid the bills. So we managed to work with Travel Oregon, which is the, the state DMO, State Destination Marketing Organization. And we just got really lucky. At that time, they're launching this big program to kind of promote Oregon as a bicycling destination. So we got hired to produce a series of about 14 videos, you know, telling the story of bike biking in rural parts of Oregon to attract cyclists to stay and visit, do an iconic ride and spend some money there. So that was our kind of our, our bicycle tourism phase of, of Pathless Pedaled. And since then, we've moved away from Portland. We're now in Missoula, Montana. And this is when I took you know, the audience that we already had and really shored things up by uh, putting a lot of eggs, actually all the eggs in the YouTube basket and developing a a YouTube channel and and kind of continuing the community through there. And what one amazing thing is, you know, we've had I'll get a, a comment or email occasionally uh, saying, "Hey, I remember back in you know 2002 when you were bicycling around LA taking photographs," and they've stayed with our story all you know over over a decade to to the current iteration. That's fantastic. And that's a perfect jumping off point because we're here today to talk about the community, but everybody kind of glosses over when they hear that, right? So here we are in June of 2021. We're coming out of COVID. 
coming through, we're hoping the tail end of, of the major pandemic. And everybody listening knows that we have just this incredible influx of newcomers. They you know, discovered and enjoyed the outdoors and cycling in a huge way in 2020 and through 2021. Um, our team just finished Unbound Gravel and we just saw incredible traffic on the, <laughs> online and just a lot of people tuning in and watching that. And I literally just finished this morning watching this recap by Flow Sports and it had the, the third and fourth place men's winners and they were, you know, just about to cross the line, but they had a hundred mile guy who was probably in his mid fifties, full beard, literally like right in front of the camera doing the like victim <laughs> across the line. And then <laughs> Ted King crosses the line. And um, I think it was uh, the third place finisher, Pete Stetna, right? You couldn't even see them till this guy crossed the line. And I got teary eyed, seriously. Cause like, that's the journeyman and journey woman racer or mm -hmm. non-competitor that you appeal to. And I really want to dive into this today because we have a tendency in the active outdoor lifestyle and outdoor recreation markets and cycling to really get in our own way. We uh, have a track to go back to and it always is competitive and it's always about the athlete. And today we're here to talk about the enthusiast, not the athlete and the incredible loyalty that they have when they're able to be like invited into and embraced in a community, which is exactly what you just described by some of your early followers and the OC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and plus I love that you jumped into YouTube because we all know it's such an important channel, but it's super hard to grow an audience there. So Let's address that first for my my dear nerds in the audience who love to talk about channels. Let's talk about why YouTube and how you grew it as successfully as you did. Yeah, so I saw an opportunity in YouTube because we had an audience that was following our blog and our Instagram, and you know, thinking ahead, you know, how we can be relevant in the in the future since we weren't continuously traveling. Uh, YouTube just seemed like the next big choice. I chose it primarily because it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it takes a lot of effort to grow, but the people that subscribe and that continue to watch the videos, you develop such a deep kind of bond or relationship with them. And I think that's where YouTube really excels. I think lots of brands tend to use YouTube incorrectly. They use it more like Vimeo where, you know, we produce this amazing video. You should come watch it. You know, they, they treat it like a movie theater, mm -hmm. but it's not a movie theater at its best. It's a constant conversation. And that's what we try to do. We have content that's educational, that's entertaining. Uh, we're not always trying to sell stuff. Um, the point is to create the content that kind of attracts the other like-minded party pace cyclists. And it, you know, I'm not gonna lie, it, it took a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of time to get it to the point where you know it's sustainable for myself and, and my girlfriend, but but we're there. And the beauty of it is that you know we've reached, you know, we we crossed a big goal of a hundred thousand. But there's rats. Thanks. But there, the, the amazing thing is that there's really no ceiling. Yeah. You know, that it's if if I if we keep putting in the time, keep making relevant content, you know, just more and more people, uh, you know, will find the channel and join the community. I have to ask you, Russ, like through through COVID, we all were just throwing ourselves at YouTube, trying to feel like we were belonging somewhere. I was anyway. And um, I got it really into like reptile channels with my daughter, um, <laughs> researching RVs and Overland stuff and how to build out vans, et cetera. Like what kind of truck to pull, what trailer. And of course my cycling, right? And a lot of that was like, what am I gonna, what kind of bike am I gonna get? And that's actually where I, I really started to go deep on your content. And you really do have a relationship 
with your viewers in terms of allowing us to come in and make uh, help you make decisions. I love yeah. that. <laughs> and then just the way that you cover product is so different. And, and I think that you really do a great job. And we uh, work with lots of brands and brand leaders here who I think are overthinking their target audience sometimes. Mm-hmm. So how do you make sure that as you are evolving this relationship that you're truly just really spot on with your target viewer? Yeah. You're probably familiar with Donald Miller, right? Yes, the marketing absolutely. guru. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, t- I, take, I took his message to, to heart. It's like the world is full of you know, heroes and not enough guides. So at a very base level, you know, I am not you know, the hero of our YouTube channel. My goal is to help people on their bike journey, whether that's you know, discovering, uh, learning about gravel bikes and, and geometry and, and tires and a different kind of cycling. And I truly like look at our YouTube channel as, as a service. You know? you know, if I can usher people into cycling, get them excited, then we've done our job well. <laughs> and I'll put links in the show notes for Story Brand. It's a book by Donald Miller and he has a whole online universe that he teaches people. And honestly, when you watch it, it kind of, or when you consume his content, it kind of ruins going to the movies because he literally (laughs) shows the kind of the blueprint of several stories and they all really distill into exactly what Russ just said. Like it's about us guiding our consumer, in your case, your viewer, and you do a really good job. It feels like we are literally like sitting in your garage talking about talking shop on bikes. So let's talk a little bit about stickers and hashtags and and things that you've done that may seem like small details that are super important for that Mm self-identification. As my Um, daughter calls it, merch, right? Yeah, the merch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we didn't didn't dive into merch uh, at the very beginning. I wish I'd had. You know, there's this one, I forget which book I read it in, but the idea that what draws people together isn't a common interest, it's a value system, a common value, right? So there are all types of cyclists. We all ride things that resemble bikes, but you put us all in a room. We don't all necessarily get along. Like, you know, I don't have the same values as someone uh, that's doing TT or that's riding fixed gear or is doing, you know, Red Bull Rampage. You know, although we all ride things that look like bikes, um, you know, I necessarily I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable like hanging out with those people. Those aren't necessarily my bike people. Mm-hmm. So once I discovered that that what you know people wanted just wasn't bike content, but you know friends that they could hang out with, people that rode bikes the same way, uh, that appreciated the same things. Then that's when you know we start. To, I started to deliberately create a, a language around the YouTube channel. Uh, so we have a couple of sayings like uh, the supple life, which started as a joke, you know, first referring to you know the big trend of big supple tires. Uh, so on the very base level, it means suspension, but on the deeper, more profound level, it means supple as in being like intellectually pliable and open-minded. And that's where, you know, because like if you go to our channel, there's videos about fishing by bike, uh, watercolors by bike, you know, it's it's not just one thing. It's like being a, a polymath or a, a renaissance person, like taking all these things and incorporating it. And one of the other kind of phrases that came out naturally was uh, party pace. <laughs> I love that one. Party pace. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, we, and that really came out of a, a frustration at the kind of poorness of the language of cycling. I, I remember getting into cycling, um, you know, I, Described in my story, I was a commuter first and then kind of looking at other types of cycling. 
And there was such an emphasis on on suffering and hurting yourself and hurting someone else. And and to me, that just seems so foreign and alien. Like, you know, I, I ride bikes because it, it's fun. I get to, to see places. And, you know, over the years, you know, the, the language still persists, right? You go to a group ride at, at most bike shops, there's the A group and the B group. You know, there's already this kind of subservient hierarchy set up. Um, you know, when we rode uh, at the time, you know, Dirty Kansas, we had no you know, aspirations to, to finish anywhere in the front. You know, we we're trying to ride our own ride. Um, but, but still, like language around that stuff, it's like you're, you always feel less than. There wasn't a celebratory word to just say, my goal isn't to be at the front. It's just to, to ride the bike, enjoy myself at my own pace. So that's when, you know, party pace came about and people, it's just so descriptive, right? You, like you get, I feel like people intuit like, uh, like almost instantly. So then we started making stickers around it. I'm holding up a sticker. I know this is a podcast, but all the stickers are very 80s inspired with holographic uh, background. So something playful, uh, celebratory. And you know, I made a video on the YouTube channel about you know we need to cyclists need to stop focusing on suffering, especially when trying to relate to the newer cyclists and frame it in the fun way. And that's hopefully one of our, our contributions to the the cycling uh, lexicon. <laughs> Well, and let's talk about that because, you know, when we were doing our rehearsal, we talked about Everesting. That was Mm -hmm. something that, you know, really spiked during COVID. And it might be because there were just people who needed something to like focus on or train for. But I'd love to have you share your take. Like why in the world would Everesting, first of all, let's tell the audience what it is. And then why do you think that it's something that captured so much attention online versus what I think you're putting out there, which I think is just so much more appealing and fun. <laughs> yeah. Frankly. So for those that don't know, Everesting is, you know, it's kind of a, a self-inflicted challenge. Where you, <laughs> Perfect. Where you try to, where you, where you ride, you know, the, the height of, of Mount Everest, and uh, I think in the 24-hour period. And it had its moment during COVID, you know, it, it existed before. But I think, you know, the most of the people that were doing it were, you know, ex-pros or, or current pros. And for them, there was no theater or stage, right? Yeah. So it was just something to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd been kind of curious, curious about it. But one thing that, that irked me was, you know, okay, so here's this challenge, which, you know, is, is cool. I'm not going to say it's not cool, but it's something that very few people can do. And yet it takes the lion's share of media, yeah. you know, whereas, you know, something like a concept like Party Pace, definitely a lot easier for more of the new cyclists to buy into. Somehow, you know, those concepts don't get the same lion's share, you know. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that's partially why I'm, I wanted to have you on the, the show today and, and use our platform to get your word out because I want the community that does business in bike. I go out of my way to say bike industry or the industry, just because I, I feel like it's not inclusive and I want everyone to feel like they can do business in bike and be part of a community. And that's how I feel like. And so you're in that community and you're a portal to this group of people that are coming in and wanting to feel part of cycling yet get extremely turned off if they have to go into a maybe a more of an old school bike shop that might not know how to cater to people who are brand spanking new or don't want like the newest latest greatest but ultimately you're giving them a community and an experience to have so i wanted to just talk with you about the notion of like every person marketing right and how it is truly a conversation and not something that's so disruptive all the time yeah, I mean, I think you know, if you look at YouTube and you look at, let's say, the the tech industry, a lot of you know, we were talking uh, in in the pre-show about like uh, camera reviews. 
if you look at who's doing camera reviews, it's like a every person. It's mm-hmm. just like an enthusiast and they have so much more weight. They're not like hiring like Annie Leibovitz to talk about the latest and greatest camera or James Nachtway, you know. But in, in cycling or lots of sports, it's still kind of the pinnacle athlete that becomes a sole spokesperson. And I think that's a really lost opportunity because I, f- I feel like, you know, they're definitely going to speak to, you know, a certain crowd. But for as many people as, you know, they attract, I think there's also a vast number of people that can never relate to them. Yeah. You know, like I look at mountain biking content, you know, I look at Red Bull Rampage, almost kind of like a morbid curiosity. But, you know, the, the channel that I gravitate towards that really speaks to me is someone like Sus by Cax. Yeah, because you know, just he's just a normal looking person. I couldn't name a professional mountain biker, but I can I know Seth. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, in road cycling and gravel, you know, that's that's also that's also the case. Right. Agreed. And I love also that um you're like when you go to pathlesspedal.com and all the links will be in the show notes, you'll see that it's a it's a well-rounded lifestyle that you're offering. It's not just the pointy end of like the most expensive, lightest bike, et cetera. Let's quickly talk about the privateers and in gravel that busted onto the scene before COVID. I mean, we had a couple world tour racers that came over and kind of became this like conglomeration of like sponsorships. And we're leading the growth of gravel to, you know, the media anyway. They really were kind of at the pointy end of that spear in terms of growing. But really, there was this whole wake behind their boat (laughs) of like the people who were running the party pace. So in the case of like the races, I think Ted King and and Laura King might have coined it, the, the mullet race where it's like the business in front, party in the back. No one's really talking to other than like, you know, creators like yourselves uh, to the party in the back. And, you know, we love content just as much as everybody. We love to belong just as much as everybody. We want to have things in our house that show who we are and stickers on our products, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So like, as I'm kind of talking through this, like, how do you feel like you've been successful growing this, even though you're not really one of those big names that's like attracting all those views or the media is kind of always backlinking to? Yeah, I mean, I think again, you know, we we appeal to, I think more than just like you said, the the pointy end of the spear. We did uh, at the time it was called Dirty Kansas in 2018, and we documented the whole experience. Like uh, we we had a friend Toby DePa uh, who coined the term uh, Couch to Kansas, and we asked him if we could use the, the name for our video series. So That's awesome! <laughs> and I wanted to do it like in a true like couch to. Kansas kind of way, not like a, you know, I used to race and I'm kind of out of shape and now I'm going to, you know, sharpen the spear again. This is like a, a true 100% off the couch, kind of like a non athletic cyclist trying to, to get to gear up for, for, uh, at the time, DK. And, you know, we, we documented, we got, you know, a, a coach for the first time, uh, monitored our, ear, our eating, had a schedule. That training season is the first time, you know, we made a funny video about it. It's like, it's the first time I'm riding a, uh, riding a bike with a number on. Because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it was truly like a, truly a, a couch uh, to Panda event. Uh, you know, we, we, did, we did the event. We didn't finish, but we still filmed it all the way through. And I think, you know, it was one of the harder video series to do and har- harder videos to, to create just because we had been so public about this attempt and didn't meet the the goal that we wanted. Oh, I know that one well. <laughs> but I mean, the typical narrative is, you know, you train hard, there's this like this rocky montage and then you come out victorious. 
right? But there, there is a lot of carnage on the road and people don't hear their stories. So as painful as it was, as challenge, challenging as it was, I wanted to tell that story. And it's funny because I, I thought that it would turn a lot of people off <laughs> from the channel. You know, like, oh, you're supposed to be some gravel guru or expert. But we actually got a lot of people that felt inspired by it. That although we didn't finish, you know, we had made this attempt, pushed ourselves uh, further than we had, and they felt compelled to 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 ride the event or train for the event themselves, even even in the failure or in the DNF. I don't I don't look at it as a failure. I try to take a more stoic view, like you know, events are neither good nor bad; they they just are. And I just wanted to see what I was what we were capable of. Well, and I don't know if if uh, I don't think you at all meant to do this, but one of the things that I read a lot about is how communities that are following people like you got, like you all like when you're vulnerable and when you just share it, like, yeah, we didn't finish. Right. <laughs> and they can relate with that way more than they can relate with like, you know, you actually finishing and getting in there 45 minutes ahead of your time. And I don't know, I feel, and maybe it also made them feel safe. Like you're not going to start hard charging, you know, <laughs> leaving the party pace. No. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, you know, ultimately I think on YouTube in particular, people want, you know, approachable, approachable guides, yeah. you know, they're the, the YouTube viewer or even just the, the general content consumer these days, they're pretty savvy. You know, they can, they can smell the BS a mile away. They know when you're reading a press release, uh, when it's a, when, it, when you're doing a sponsored video and, and you're not you know, on the up and up with it. So I try to respect the intelligence of the, of the viewer and be honest. And that's, that's all we can do. Like I, f- I feel like most or many brands still treat marketing like we have consumers or viewers in the 50s. Where yeah. We can do like a, you know, just read a press release and have a shiny picture and no flaws and they'll, they'll buy right into you know, that, that product. But that's not the case. You know? Especially think- after COVID. With yeah. all the good, bad, and ugly that was on display. <laughs> yeah. I think people are more critical, uh, cynical. And if anything, they, they crave the truth or something authentic. <laughs> I agree. So how um, I know that YouTube is definitely a two-way channel, right? Let's talk about how you treat your um, people who leave comments and then you know how you kind of further that and, and what you're seeing in terms of like, how to increase that? What's working to get people to actually pop in and, and leave a comment on a video? Yeah, you know, there's the common strategies of you know asking a question or leaving something open ended, or you know, what, what should we review next, or, or their experience with the product. Um, we've we recently, well, not recently, like last year, we started a Discord server, and a lot of those conversations carry through to the Discord server. So currently, we have about. I think a thousand people on Discord. And at first, you know, I was I was having to guide conversations, but now there's like a core group of people that they self-monitor, they get really nerdy, all sorts of you know, random topics, a lot smarter people than me in the Discord. And I think that's a that's been a, a pretty cool thing to watch grow. And people request different channels there. It's like uh, there was a request recently for, oh, can you create like regional channels so people uh, can organize their own party pace rides within you know their their state or their city. And ultimately, that was the the end. I think the end goal for the channel. Like I want you know people have a sense of community watching the videos, but to translate that somehow in into real life, IRL, right? Right. And you know, Discord is is one of those means. You know, we we hope to do 
kind of our own like party pace events in the future or do a van tour and, and have little pop-up uh, gatherings at different bike shops. And we had started to do that before COVID, but you know, that's, that's down the road. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that'll come back with fury here pretty soon. People really are ready for that. So Discord, were there other platforms you were looking at or was that just the one that really made the most sense to you? We're looking at Slack, but then that felt too like office worky, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people use that professionally. And Discord it has its flaws, like you can't do common threading. So it's like having one giant like group text, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that is cool is uh, on, on Discord, if you're not familiar with it, it's very much like Slack, uh, where you set up a you know, kind of hashtag, whatever channel. And if people request a channel, I'll create it and they can populate it. But it also allows uh, video chats. So oh. you know, there's this... I don't know if you're familiar with the whole idea of coffee outside. Yeah. It's, yeah. So there was a, a demand for, can we have a virtual coffee outside during COVID when the actual ones can they meet? I was like, sure. So we set up, um, you know, one of the, the, the users said, we actually did it this morning, every Thursday at, you know, 8 a.m. Pacific, you know, everyone hops on the video voice channel that we nerd out about bikes or, you know, current events or something. And that's been going on since, you know, at least for a couple months. And awesome. It's, it's pretty cool. That is really cool. So Discord, and we'll put the everything we mentioned in here, we'll put in the show notes for everybody. Um, that's actually a really an interesting uh, jumping off point in the fact that you, you're you probably getting requests and demand that you're seeing already for in-person as this person w- was asking for regional in terms of a physical meetup is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in Portland right now, they're in the in the throes of, of uh, Pedalpalooza. Um, so it's like a month-long bike celebration. And some shops... And some groups have started using the term party pace. You know, it's a party pace ride. So, you know, no, there's there's no trophies at the end if you finish first. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Hopefully they're pointing back to you all, but that's just the marketer in me saying yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next step in terms of you growing this community more? So it's not even just about like YouTube audience. It's about just the whole community. Because again, this notion of every person marketing, that's kind of what I really want to drive home you're definitely showcasing that you're adept on YouTube, but it ties into the goal of like marketing to that target uh, target audience that you have that's not the pro, not the athlete. So what's next in terms of like growing this audience and, and keeping them nurtured? I think in-person, some kind of in-person event. Uh, we were actually supposed to collaborate with Snow Peak and her friend at Swift Industries for this event in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we couldn't do it, just circumstances. We were going to ha- have classes on how to you know, go birding by bike, how to go fly fishing by bike or watercolor by bike. So, so stuff like that. People, you know, they want to use the bike as an exploration tool and just facilitating that. I know that one of the bike events that we are hopefully going to attend this year is uh, this one called the Ochico Overlander. It's out in Eastern or Central Oregon. And it's a semi-supported bikepacking event, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. So it's it's plenty hard and you do have to carry some things, but they carry the bulk of it. And when you arrive at camp, there's a campfire and, and beer and, and barbecue waiting for you. So it's it's pretty awesome. That sounds amazing. I'd love to do something like that. So you've had an online presence since 2009. When did you introduce Patreon? Uh, that came in, I'd say about three years ago. 
Okay. And that was a really pivotal time because, you know, I was talking about YouTube growth and, and monetization or it, and I didn't get into monetization, but it's very hard to monetize well. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I was really at my wits end. I think we were at 30,000 subscribers, you know, at that subscriber rate, AdSense, you know, if you work at Burger King, you probably make more than most YouTube creators, let's say. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just to make it, to make it sustainable, like someone suggested Patreon. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll try it. And you know, some some people signed signed on, um, and then as, as we tried, as we started to kind of refine uh, the value in the Patreon community, more people signed on. And then during COVID, there's almost doubled. You know, people and the big comment that we got was, you know, I realize I'm I'm spending eight bucks a month on Netflix, but I watch YouTube a lot more, and I want to make sure you stick around as as a channel. So that's when we got a, a really big influx in the Patreon. And have they changed a lot in terms of features on Patreon lately? I thought I've been reading some things, but time warp is kind of happening. Maybe that was before COVID. I'm not sure. There's, What's been going on with Patreon? There's no like huge change. I think the the biggest one is in terms of the the subscriber model. People you can offer an annual membership instead instead of people like paying every month. So that definitely appealed to to more people. On our end, you know, we've worked with some brands. That we truly love and have asked them, like we know a lot of the, the the founders. Hey, can you offer our Patreon supporters like a fifteen percent or twenty percent discount code? That's you know behind the paywall, and only they get to use it. So that's been how we've been using Patreon to to sweeten the deal. That's awesome. Okay, well, cool. This has been great. If you can depart uh, before we, you know, give us a little bit of like a statement of guidance to maybe the the more traditional bike industry, Russ. How can they do a better job marketing to everyone instead of just marketing to the you know spandex clad racer <laughs> who's concerned about weight, et cetera? Right. Um, <laughs> so, like in in the midst of COVID, you know, Brain Bicycle Retailer Magazine yep. had this one article uh, talking about you know what bikes were selling and how it was an opportunity, and the. The firm that they hired uh, to conduct a study on sales said specifically, you know, it's it's time to to move past the pinnacle athlete. Not that the, they're not an important market, but this is like a time like no other to really capture, you know, this new class of cyclists. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think the bike industry has really failed at that. <laughs> yeah. And I thought. COVID was an interesting time because there's no events. So there wasn't a stage for athletes to perform and, you know, for, for them to supposedly a- attract more cyclists. But if you look at, at the period of COVID, massive bike sales, right? Massive people getting on bikes and no bike races. So to me, that kind of derails the or decouples the idea that we need races. We need, you know, these amazing athletes to get people on bikes when there's clearly other factors that that got way more cyclists on bikes than, you know, just pure than than just a competitive athlete. I think that model, especially working in YouTube, seems broken and antiquated. You know, like I said, I couldn't name a, a professional mountain biker to save my life, but I know Seth Bike Hacks. I know Brian from BKXC. I know these people because, you know, they talk to me every week. They provide me valuable information. You know, I don't mm-hmm. care if they ever podium, but they're they're helping me out personally. Whereas I think the traditional athlete model, some have 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 been able to cultivate a YouTube following, like Phil Gaiman. I know Ted King's trying it, but for the most part. They they still seem very unapproachable, and yes, they they showcase product, but 
I think there's a savvier consumer today. And yeah. they know that you know, they're, they're probably using what they use and riding what they ride because they're getting paid. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But you know, that's, you know, it, it'll only go so far. Agreed. That's such excellent advice. And honestly, there's a lot of Captain Obvious there. And what what do we do when we don't see the the way forward or when things have really shifted? We always, as humans, go back to what we've always known, right? It burns less calories in our brains. And what I think, you know, the true opportunity there is like, get uncomfortable, go meet people, go bike fishing, go bike birding, <laughs> like give these things a try, sponsor something new at your dealer that might not involve like, here's how to pack for a 200 mile gravel va- race or whatever. So I think that's, that's incredible advice. And I want to thank you so much for being here today and um, tell everybody where they can learn more about you, both at your website and, and with YouTube. I know you have yeah. other um, you know, we have an Instagram at Pathless Pedaled, which is pretty active. Uh, YouTube channel, if you just search for, for Pathless Pedaled, uh, then that should pop up. The website, pathlesspedal.com, which we have to update more often. Uh, but, but truly, YouTube is a place to find us. Instagram is a place to, to communicate with us. And uh, Discord, if you want to hang out and do coffee outside virtually. <laughs> and join the community and support what they're doing. And you'll yeah. see amazing watercolors because Russ yeah. is also an artist. So nice. yeah, thank you so much. It's awesome to have you on today. And I look forward to having you back soon. Cool. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.